0: Mike, that's too much. That's too much. I do. I, this, I like getting rowdy. I do, and I just like kind of letting loose and screaming. And so I really appreciate that. I feel so loved by you guys. Um, I'm Jonathan, one of the pastors here. If you're joining online, really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I'm excited for us to jump in this morning and, um, yeah, kick off this new series. I love community. I love talking about community and i 'm excited for us to jump in uh, before we do so. Um, I want to mention one quick thing on the end of our service today. Um, we have what 's called a regroup. We do this quarterly where if you 're new and you 're like, "How do I get in a small group here?" We call them community groups. Uh, we want to make that as easy as possible. If you're here in the room, uh, as you leave, you can uh, stop in the lobby at our Connection Center and you can jump in a group. Even if you're here and you're like, I used to be in a group, but life changed and a pandemic happened and I haven't been able to get reconnected. We want to help with that. So stop by. If you're online, fill out a Connect card let us know that you want to be in a group and we would love to help you get in a group. We'll talk more about that later, but I just wanted to like mention that on the front end of our teaching time. Um, today, we're in a brand new series, as Mike said, called Counter Culture, and we're talking about how Jesus changes community, how Jesus changes community. In fact, we're, we're going to dive into this, we're going to see how Jesus both creates great community and how he creates healthy relationships, he forms healthy relationships, um, and we want to be part of that. We want to see that happen right here in our church family. According to the Bible, the community of the church and the relationships that make up that community are, I, I have all italicized here, are supposed to be the most life-giving, rich, deep, fulfilling, safe relationships that we could ever be part of. Like the, the church community according to the Bible, is supposed to be so counter cultural. It's supposed to stand out as so different, so much better than anything else that we could experience. So much so that one author named Eugene Peterson talks about the church community in this way. He calls the church community a colony of heaven in a country of death. A colony of heaven in a country of death. That's the aim. That's what we're after as we give ourselves to this series in Romans 12 over the next seven weeks. How is God creating in us? How is he forming us into a colony of heaven and a country of death? In other words, the church community is meant to be a representation of the church of heaven on earth. A visible picture of what life and community and relationships look like when God gets his redemptive and restorative way in our world. The church is meant to be a counterculture of relational beauty and joy in the dominant culture around. But if you have breathed for a second, you know that it doesn't always typically feel that way and it's not always typically experienced that way. Um, Maybe you're here, you're joining online, and you've only had a negative experience with church community. You've had a tough experience with the church community, more likely with church people. Or maybe you're here and you've never really been consistently part of a church community, but you've heard horror stories, like terrible stories of things going really sideways in church communities. Or maybe you're here and you've been part of a church your whole life. Like you don't remember not being part of a church. But you've never had the colony of heaven in a country of death type church experience. Maybe even you've been here and it's not felt like that. I know for most of us when we think of relationships, not just community. Let's take it out of like this, the buzzword community. and Let's boil it down into what makes up community, which is our relationships. For most of us... Our relationships, some, even some of our closest relationships—spouses, parents, kids, coworkers, friends, neighbors—don't. They don't feel this way. They don't feel rich and deep and fulfilling and safe always. In fact, for most of us, you're probably rolling in here and you're feeling this morning completely drained by those relationships, by some of the closest relationships that you have that are supposed to be the most life-giving. You feel drained by them. We see dysfunction in our families. We see disappointment in our marriages. We see discouragement in our friend groups. And we should ask the question, why? Like, why don't I feel charged up and refreshed by those relationships? And how do I get to the place where the experienced reality of community feels like a colony of heaven in a country of death how do we get there is it possible I think that's the question we're going to wrestle with this morning is is it even possible for my relationships for my community to feel like a colony of death a colony of heaven in a country of death well I'll show my cards I believe that it is or else we wouldn't be doing the sermon series I believe that if we give ourselves to Romans 12 and we'll allow Jesus to shape the way we think and live in community, I believe that Jesus will create such a counterculture in this community. I believe that what we will begin to see unfold and experience here will be far greater than what we could have thought was possible. We'll begin to see relational healing take place. We'll begin to see... What often feels like pathetic community groups roll into powerful community groups. And so, our goal for the series is for us, to, for, for us as a church to be engaged in and help build a countercultural community, to experience it that feels like what we're aiming for, that in fact is what Paul describes in Romans 12. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the recipe for great community and healthy relationships. Does that sound okay? The recipe. So what goes, you guys know what a recipe is? You're looking kind of sleepy, maybe a little bit too much brunch. Okay, a recipe for healthy community and, and, and really good friendships, all right? So the first marker, we're going to look at seven markers here. The first marker of a counter-cultural community, and our big idea for this morning is this. Let's be a people who choose sacrifice over self. Like, anything beautiful, anything enjoyable is comes on the tail of sacrifice. We typically enjoy the benefits of something not understanding the sacrifice that went into creating whatever it is that we're enjoying. And so we as a church— From Romans 12, the first thing we want to mark our community is that we choose sacrifice over self. So we're going to jump in to Romans 12, starting in verse 1. We're going to see two realities play out here. We're going to see a call to sacrificial living and a call to sacrificial thinking. We're going to start with sacrificial living. Um, Grab your Bible, or if you're online, grab a Bible or a phone, open it up. If you're here in the room and you're using one of our Bibles on the seatbacks. It's on page one thousand six. Um, we're going to be in the book of Romans. Romans was written by a guy named Paul, and he wrote uh, this letter to a collection of churches in the region of Rome in the first century. And uh, honestly, Paul's story, which is actually found over in the book of Acts, is a wild story. It's for another day. You just have to trust me today. Wild story. But what Paul does here in the book of Romans is honestly brilliant. He spends the first 11 chapters uh, of the book explaining and articulating the good news of Jesus in the most compelling way possible. And then there's a turning point here. And where we're jumping in in Romans 12 is a really pivotal moment in this letter, all right? And he's making this transition from how the good news of Jesus, uh, what the good news of Jesus is and how then it translates into good community and relationships. And so to kind of tie it together of what we're doing here is this little phrase. Jesus, this is what Paul's trying to show us. Jesus was the dying sacrifice for us so that we could be a living sacrifice for each other, okay? That's what's happening here in this this transition. Jesus was the dying sacrifice for us so that we could be the living sacrifice for one another, okay? That's what we're seeing. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this, therefore, brothers and sisters, In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Okay, we'll stop there. Let's keep this on the screen for just a second. I want you guys to look at this. Like, look at this with me. Present your bodies, weird language, as a living sacrifice, what, what does that mean? Paul's urging us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? How, like, did you guys do that this weekend? Right? Were you sitting around over brunch yesterday and you're like talking with your spouse about how you, I don't know, thinking about presenting my body as a living sacrifice today? Do we talk like that? No. Or, were you with your friends and you're kicking around the idea of presenting a, your bodies as a living sacrifice? Or you were on a work call last week and you, heard, you overheard someone talking about how they were presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice? That's like strange language. Like, did anyone talk about that this weekend? I don't think so. If you did, number one, I want to know. Number two, you're weird, Okay. So what does this mean? Seriously, like what is Paul getting at here? What is he urging us to do? Well, I want you to like zoom in on this word, sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? Well, a sacrifice, especially in the context of the Bible, really is something that dies in the place of something else. That's a sacrifice. Death is always associated with sacrifice. From the Old Testament, the priests would... Enter into the temple, there's all kinds of writing about this, to make an animal sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of God's Old Testament people, Israel. Did that animal, like, ever live after that? No, the animal died as a sacrifice for the atonement. And we think about Jesus, we think about the ultimate sacrifice offered by Jesus for our sins. If we remember back to Good Friday just a few days ago, we talk about the fact that Jesus died on a cross. So death is associated with sacrifice. For something to sacrifice, to be sacrificed, it has to die, in other words. Paul is urging us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's an oxymoron. Like, how can something that dies live? One author, commentator, writes this. The Christian does this presents themselves as a living sacrifice by giving God the one thing they can offer, which is their mortal body, their physical body, their life in this world. So what Paul's getting at here is he's saying, live in a way that you're dead to yourself, where you are a dead person walking. We kind of get a little bit like Halloweenish here with like some zombies, right? But it's like, live in a way, live your life in a sacrificial way as though you were dead. This is not simply just a call to selfishness here. Like this is a really raising the bar on Christian community. It's not just a call to selfishness, selflessness, but actually a call to self-sacrifice. This sounds a lot like what Jesus has said in some of his gospel accounts. In Luke 9, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Like, die, carry with you every day the instrument of death. Die to yourself and follow me. He's, Paul, in another letter in Galatians 2, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So there's this idea of us dying to ourselves and living in a sacrificial manner, living differently. And that's what Paul is calling us to hear. And I just want to like sit in this for a second in that this is radical. This is radical. Like to follow Jesus is radical. It's to live sacrificially, not just a little less selfish, but a call to die to ourselves, our desires. But if you're anything like me, you're sitting here thinking, okay, Jonathan, you set this whole thing up and you were like, we're talking about community. Yeah. Now we're talking about st- Death and sacrifice. What does sacrifice have to do with community? Well, it actually has everything to do with community and relationships. The reason community and relationships aren't life-giving to us is because of one thing, and that's selfishness. Selfishness and self-preservation is the number one thing that absolutely destroys, absolutely destroys life-giving communities and healthy relationships. We naturally go into every relationship as a taker, not a giver. We're focused on getting our own needs met, not meeting the needs of others. And when we have an entire community who's grasping for their own needs to be met, guess whose needs get met? No one's. Everyone loses, right? Like, if that's, if that's how we all come into this, is I need... I need, I want. No, no, no one gets their needs met. No one is encouraged. No one is, is built up at all. We live our lives so turned in on ourselves, thinking of ourselves at all times only. And that's why the call, like that's the broader culture, like right? that's what we're trained to do. That's why this call to self-sacrifice is actually so counter-cultural. Because culture says this, we talked about this during the Better Story series, love yourself, prioritize yourself, treat yourself, keep yourself at the center of all of your decisions, listen only to yourself, trust only yourself, and then throw off any binding commitments that might keep you from doing that. And then you'll find freedom and joy and fulfillment in life. That's, that's culture's narrative. But the problem with the process, the problem with believing that narrative, that story, I've seen this play out so many times, guys, in the life of our church, is it always leads to isolation. When you care only about yourself, you will isolate yourself. It leads only to isolation, away from community. You take yourself out of all the friendships you take yourself away from every friendship because they're toxic, and what we do is we fail to realize that in us, like being at the center of our lives and taking ourselves out of every relationship, calling every relationship toxic, is that we're actually the poison in the relationship because we're so drowned in, we're drowning on our own self. We're so turned in on our self, and we isolate ourselves. I'm just speaking honestly from sitting down with so many people from our church who can't get themselves out of their own narrative. And I'm not saying that to law bombs, I'm saying that because I'm right there too. It's me. We're all the problem, we're all selfish. That's why this call of Jesus to live sacrificially is so radical, it's so upside down, it's so different, it's so counter-cultural. It means to live an other-centered life. We get ourselves out of the center of our lives when we stop thinking of ourselves as the center of the universe. Could you imagine the impact if we all said, I'm in, I'm doing that. Can you imagine the impact that that would have on our relationships. Can you imagine the impact that might have on our community? Can you imagine the impact that might have on our community groups? When we quit waiting for other people to create the kind of community that we would want, or into, want to enter into, and we take it as our responsibility to say, no, 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 I'm going to be the pioneer who helps create this community. I'm going to be the one to sacrifice in order that others might benefit. Like, what if we all took that on? What amazing community that would be. We prioritize one another, not ourselves. We love one another, not ourselves. We treat others, not ourselves. We think of others in our decision making, not just ourselves. We make a commitment with other people. We actually submit ourselves to binding commitments and say, I'm committed to you. And in so doing, we would create the most beautiful, life-giving, enjoyable community possible. This is why the church honestly is set apart from so many other communities. Because we're centered on one idea that's Jesus' idea of self-sacrifice versus a, a theory or an idea or a hobby or a topic. And so the first thing Paul calls us to here is to live sacrificially, a sacrificial life. But the second is sacrificial thinking. Romans 12 continues in verse 2. We've only looked at one verse. Look at the second verse of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Goodness. Paul, what Paul's saying here in this very first line, like pay attention to this. Do not be conformed to this age, like that's why, if you're wondering where we got the name counter culture for this sermon series, it's right here. Don't be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to this world, other translations say. In other words, don't fall into, the, into culture's trap of thinking your life is about you and for you. That your life is not primarily about you and not primarily for you. But rather... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that you can understand how you ought to navigate life. Like the good things that God has for you. There's a shift in our thinking here. Choosing sacrifice over self is not just about our actions. It's not just about living sacrificially, but it's also about our thinking. This this is the other 50%. It's also about our minds. You see, having our minds renewed towards sacrificial thinking is not hardwired, but rather is trained. In fact, we're hardwired to think of ourselves all the time, like all the time, first. And, you know, the easiest example of that is on Monday morning, I sat down in my office, which is like 10 feet right there, and I'm looking at this passage, and I'm thinking, okay, I... I'm going to be writing a sermon this week on how to be sacrificial. And the whole time, all morning, I could only think about myself the whole time. I'm sitting there and my phone's ringing because Butler Rentals, who we rented extra staging for for Easter last week, is calling me to tell me that they need to come pick up the staging. And I'm like, hey, can you guys leave me alone? I'm writing a sermon on how to be selfless. Can you please leave me alone? And my my wife Sarah's calling me. And I'm thinking, Sarah, can you please stop calling me? I'm trying to write a sermon on how to be self-sacrificing. And I can only think of myself. And then I'm sitting there and my phone's buzzing. And I'm thinking, my coworkers, they're right in these neighboring offices. Don't they know I'm trying to be selfless? Will they leave me alone? They keep sending me text messages. Guys, leave me alone. And I got myself so worked up about this, I had to laugh about it. I'm literally in front of my computer trying to write about how to live a life that prioritizes sacrifice over self, and I could only think of myself while trying to write a sermon on how to be sacrificial. And so the question is, like, we're all there. How do, how do we do this? Can we put verse two back up? Like, how do we see, how do we see our minds transformed? Like, how do we see, how are we transformed by the renewing of our minds into thinking sacrificially? How does this actually happen? Well, two steps, two easy steps to being the most selfless person. Um, Two steps. One is let's recognize that we are all trapped in a selfish cycle. The natural bent of our hearts is towards ourselves, to think of ourselves first. My 15-month-old daughter, Eleanor, um, believe it or not, we did not send her to selfish school to learn how to be selfish. She just is. She's selfish. Like, she's 15 months old. She thinks of herself first. She thinks about what she wants first. And we didn't train her to do that. She just does it. And she just doesn't have the ability like we can to hide it hide like hide our selfishness. She just says it and cries it and does it. She just is it. It's hardwired in us. And I think the first is for us to realize that we're, our propensity, my propensity, your propensity is to get trapped in this selfish cycle of only thinking about ourselves. Our thinking can be so selfish that we actually begin, like we could go down this rabbit hole of selfish thinking so deep that we actually begin to think that we're the only ones right in the world and everyone else around us is wrong. And we become blinded by our own selfishness. In fact, we begin to assume that everyone's out to get us. We start assuming the worst about everyone. We get sucked down this selfish cycle so far that we begin to allow the way we think about people around us to be shaped by a warped, selfish perspective and not by reality, much less a gospel-centered reality. And here's what I mean by that. Pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to the things that you find yourself dwelling on. Pay attention to how you think about other people and what you think about them. But specifically, be careful to assume things are true about someone that isn't necessarily true or you don't actually know. We see this play out with our spouses. If you're married, we see this play out with our friends who maybe we haven't heard from for a long time. So we just assume things about them. They don't like us anymore. We forget we're in a pandemic We see this play out in our community group. That person kind of looked at me a little funny, so I'm never going back. We see this play out in people that we don't really know that well, but we think we know. And then we have told ourselves this story about what their deal is. And then we mull over these thoughts over and over and over long enough that we actually begin believing. We start believing that they're true, that they weren't just a thought, but they're facts, And then before long, we've built this entire case against someone based on nothing but untrue assumptions or thoughts about someone that went unfiltered in our mind. And we've made someone out to be a villain in our own mind, and we've never even talked to them about it. This is where the selfish cycle leads. And honestly, I feel like this is a good word for us as a church. Distance breeds distrust. The longer people are physically, spiritually, and emotionally away from each other, the easier this becomes. The pandemic has put us in this position where specifically as a church, but also in our culture and society, where this could never be more true. The further and longer we are away from each other, away from civil face-to-face interaction— The easier this becomes, the quicker we build cases against each other. And nothing, I say nothing, nothing will cause more drama in our lives as it relates to our relationships in community. Like believing false things about people in our mind that we've never even talked to them about. Like nothing will undermine healthy community and good friendships faster than believing stories that we're telling ourselves. And the reason I know this is true is because I've seen this play out in my own life. I've seen this play out in a counseling room. I've seen this play out in the lives of people in our church that we're away from each other. We haven't seen each other for a year. And so we begin to believe things that aren't true about each other. And then we write people off and build cases against them. I've seen this play out in community groups. I've seen this play out in friends and seeing friendships fractured for no reason. And distance does this. It breeds distrust. And I just want to call that out. I want us to realize that and I want us to fight against that. Realize that we're all trapped on a selfish cycle. Let's realize that. Let's recognize that first. But there's a way off of the selfish cycle. And it's through, secondly, bringing our thoughts to Jesus and letting him do some on-the-job training with us. Bringing those thoughts to Jesus and to let him do some on-the-job training with us. We can't renew our minds. We might think that we can, but we can't. We need help. We can't just like retract from our friends and family and job and say, I'm going to like retract, become very selfless, and then re-engage as the most sacrificial person ever. Because the problem with trying to retract is that when we retract, from, when we retract from community, we actually just think about ourselves the whole time because that's who we're with. So this has to be on-the-job training. This has to be in the context of community. Moving from self to sacrifice in, in our thinking is always going to be practice based on the job training. So what do we do? How do we actually how do we actually engage with verse 2 here in transforming our minds? Like, how does that actually happen? Well, it happens in a couple ways, and it happens at different speeds. We're all on a journey here together, but it happens through remembering what transforms our minds, what renews us in the first place. Like, those thoughts don't originate in ourselves, but they originate in God's word. And so when we're putting ourselves under the authority of God's word on a daily basis, when we're reading the Bible and soaking in God's word, of course our minds can change. Of course Jesus can do some training on us when day to day we're giving ourselves to that rhythm. But then moment by moment, this, like, it's hard to catch. And so I think that's where Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 are so helpful to us. He says this, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. It looks like us filtering our thoughts through Jesus. If we literally do what Paul says here in taking our thoughts captive, this is what this looks like. It means we capture every thought, we hold it captive for a minute, we scrutinize it, we evaluate it, we run it through a Jesus-shaped, self-sacrificing filter, and then we see what comes out on the other side. And especially if it's a negative thought, or especially if it's something that's harmful and hurtful towards other people, if we, if we do this process, it will push out on the other end of us assuming the best about other people. Like nine times out of ten, sometimes there's truth to like what's happening, but nine times out of ten, it's a misunderstanding, it's a miscommunication, it's a miss. And rather than like jump on someone in your mind, like let's, let's take it captive and let's actually evaluate it first. It means we're fighting to always assume the best about each other. Dallas Willard is a theologian. He wrote this about our thoughts. He says the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. It means that we have the power to say, that's not true, and dismiss it. We also have the power to reflect and dwell upon good things, truths of the Scriptures. Our thoughts are not always reliable, and sometimes they aren't very helpful, but this is why we need to bring them to Jesus. Bringing them to Jesus is so important, especially as we think about community and relationships. And guys, I'll just say this, like we're talking about sacrifice, and there's no hack or shortcut to sacrifice. Sacrifice is what it is. It's a sacrifice. There's no fast way to live a life marked by sacrificial living and sacrificial thinking other than doing it. And that's why this is such a beautiful thing, because we get to practice this in community. We get to do this with each other. We get to extend each other grace. Think about a time you've been extended grace when you were just, you really dropped the ball. And someone said, hey, it's okay. Like, live together like that. When we have our minds renewed, when we're allowing Jesus to train us in sacrificial thinking, it really does change everything about our community and our relationships. And so let's play this out in a couple of examples. Let's let's think about this in our friendships first. We think about our friendships. When we go into friendships assuming the best about each other, when we offer each other the benefit of the doubt, when we enter in as givers, not takers, when we enter in with a, a mind that thinks, how can I sacrifice for you and not what can I get from you? Like Think about how that changes your friendships. Think about a time when you've been with a friend who you sat down with this friend, you talked their ear off and they only just asked you questions and you, you get out of that, that time with that friend and you're like, they were so selfless with me just now and I was so selfish with them. I just talked their leg off. And sometimes you need that. But imagine if you're never on the other end of that and you're always the one who's talking, 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 talking and you never actually sit and listen to the other friend. Think about how drained both of you came into your friendship and said, how can I sacrifice for you? How can I ask you questions? How can I listen to you? How can I care for you? How can I empathize? How can I sympathize with you? Think about how that would just transform our friendships. Let's play this out in our marriages. If you're married, when we choose sacrifice over ourselves in our marriages, everyone wins. When both parties are saying, I want to lay my life down for you. I want to yield my preferences to your preferences. I want to go out to eat where you want to go out to eat, practically. Like, think about that for a second. When we think sacrifice over self in marriage, everyone wins. When we think sacrifice over self in sex, everyone wins. When we think sacrifice over self in our finances, everyone wins. When we think sacrifice over self in our time, everyone wins. When we think sacrifice over self in our, emotion, in our emotional health, everyone wins. I could just keep going. Let's play this out in our workplace. Like, Do you want to be countercultural in your workplace? Then start living into sacrifice over self. Choose sacrifice over self. Think about how refreshing and compelling it is when you go out of your way to live sacrificially towards your coworkers. No one does this, all right? No one does this. This is wild. Small gestures yield huge results in your workplace when you choose sacrifice over self in a culture where everyone's trying to step on everyone else and belittle everyone else and say, I'm better because of these reasons. What if you you were just kind and patient and listened and you did small gestures in your workplace and saw huge results yielded in a culture shift? And then lastly, we'll think about this in the context of our community groups, our small groups here at the Heights. Our series practice for this entire series is this, get in a community group and practice countercultural community. Like this is what we're gonna talk about every week. Like we can't do the things we're talking about apart from a community. We can't obey the one and others of scripture apart from being with one another. Community groups are a great place to see sacrifice over self play out. Our community groups meet weekly. They take this room, this big room with a lot of people and they, they make it into smaller circles of people where we can actually live into these realities together. So here's the deal. We can't practice Romans 12 apart from a community. And so I want to encourage you to jump in a community. If you're not in a group, we want to help you get in a group. If you have been part of a group and you got disconnected, we want to help you get reconnected. If you've been part of a group and you've been connected but you haven't been showing up, maybe you should show up. Maybe that's your next step. And I say that, not to be mean or whatever, but like, guys, show up for group. Like, show up. I think we think that participating in community group is like going to the gym. And it's like, if I skip out on the gym, you know, you've heard the line, well, you're only hurting yourself. And you're like, well, that's okay. Like, I'm fine to hurt myself. But that's actually not how community works. Community actually works when we're like, we, it requires us to actually be together. When we skip community group, we're actually slowing down the spiritual growth of the other people around us. We're saying, I matter more than you when we skip. And community group leaders are fist pumping right now. I think the whole nature of this is saying, my life is not about me. Like this is not for me. And so when we choose to play hooky, you're you're not just hurting yourself, you're actually hurting the people in your group too. It's not neutral ground, you're either building or hurting one or the other. And so let's be a people who show up for each other, physically and emotionally. Don't just be there and be a zombie, but be there, engaged. Sacrifice. And we do all this, ultimately, because we've been beneficiaries of someone else's sacrifice. Ultimately, nothing beautiful or good in life can happen apart from sacrifice. Sacrifice gives way to beauty. The incredible resurrection, death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what gives us, gives way to a church community in the first place. And so as we move into a time of response right now, I'm going to encourage you, if you're not in a group, get in a group after service. But we're going to respond through taking communion. We haven't done this in a little while because of COVID, but we want to take communion as a church. We believe this is really important. We're gonna we've thought through how to do this safely. We've got four stations, so there's in the two back corners and the two front corners, we have people that will serve with a pre-packaged cracker and wine. And they have they're gonna be gloved, so they're gonna hand it to you so that we're not all mixing our hands in the bowl. We're gonna do this really safely. But in taking communion, if you'd consider yourself a Christian, in taking communion, what you're saying is I have no hope in life and death apart from Jesus. And in taking communion, you're saying to everyone in the room, I'm choosing a life of self-sacrifice over self. For the sake of those of you around me in this room, I'm choosing to be a contributor to a counter-cultural community and relationships here. And so I'm going to pray in just a second. I'm going to invite you to respond. So if you're going to be serving communion, you can come on up. But I'm going to pray for us and we're going to respond. And here's what I want you to do. Receive communion, go back to your seat and you can sit, you can stand, you can kneel and take the body and the blood of Christ in communion represented and, and remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made to make all this possible. His body and his, his body, and blood, body broken bloodshed for you and then allow that to form the way we as a people live into sacrificial living and thinking towards one another to create a countercultural community, a colony of heaven and a country of death. Lord, we thank you for Romans 12. We thank you for the clarity of Romans 12. And a, honestly, a, a really challenging call to live sacrificially, to live as a people not for ourselves and not primarily lives for us and about us, But Jesus, in your life and your death and your resurrection, you modeled for us that life is not about us. And you died to create this community. And so Lord, would we be a people who die to continue this community? Would we be a people who live lives as a living sacrifice, dead to ourselves, alive to you, laying our lives down over and over for the people around us. Jesus, would you create this culture in our church family? As we respond in communion, Jesus, we confess that we need you. We're reminded of the body and the blood of Christ broken and shed for us, and that Jesus, your sacrifice is the model for us to live into sacrificial living and thinking, to live into choosing sacrifice over self. We pray this in Jesus's name. Amen. Um, you can respond however you feel led. Again, come forward or go back, and then return back to your seat.